Welcome to Building Stronger Communities, a presentation of MRB Group and our Smarter Local Gov team. MRB Group has been supporting local governments for nearly a century with engineering, architecture, and infrastructure development. And our Smarter Local Gov team has been designed to tackle community development and management challenges facing our local government partners. This podcast features conversations with professionals and community leaders, sharing stories, information, and resources that come from a municipal knowledge base that's 100 years in the making. From the James R. Gresson Studio, in the historic Culver Road Armory. This is Building Stronger Communities. All right, we're back with our old friend, Jane, our young friend, but our historically old friend, Jane uh, Nicholson. Uh, Welcome, Jane. Hi, Matt. It's great to be here. Jane Nicholson is a senior planning associate here with Smarter Local Gov, which is the local government services division of MRB Group. And uh, Jane... I, uh, we've had a couple of different conversations about this and I think it spans a bunch of, a bunch of MRB group service areas and even a bunch of our local government, uh, uh, service areas. And that's the issue of housing. And, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I have struggled with a lot in my career is working with communities on defining the term affordable housing. And I've been, uh, I've been, I've worked, I've been fortunate to work in a ton of communities all over the country. Everybody has a different picture of it in their head. Um, a lot of them have a negative picture of it in their head. Uh, but one thing that I've learned over the years is that uh, there probably isn't one definition uh, and that there certainly isn't one housing product. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that I, that I want to be sure that we're doing with our, with our friends and local government, local government leaders, mayors and managers and supervisors is kind of breaking up some of the myths or misconceptions around, uh, around affordable housing, uh, because we know it, we know it's a, a challenge. We know in all of our communities, um, it's, it's certainly something that's, that's absolutely necessary. Uh, but for some reason it's getting this bad rap and, and, um, I'm just interested in your take on, uh, on why you think that is and what you think some, some common misconceptions might be around, around affordable housing generally. <laughs> Yeah, this is a really a great topic. Um, affordable housing has come to have a serious negative connotation with it. Um, you know, well, we have to start by first, and I believe, Matt, you actually said this best. Uh, recently in a steering committee meeting with the community we're working with, um, you know, the community members came out and said, we want affordable housing. We want affordable housing. And Matt, you turned around and actually said, well, affordable to who? And I think it took the community back by surprise. The room almost went silent. And in my head, I'm saying, that's brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant because uh, my affordability is probably very different than maybe yours or, or some of our colleagues or my neighbors. It, it just varies so much. Um, so you took it a step further and you said, okay, well, are we offering, you know, subsidized housing? Um, are we offering, is it um, referred to as, as section eight housing in, in New York state? Are we offering, uh, You've heard the term McMansions, you know, these 6,000 square foot single family homes on, on one to two acre lots. You know, what is it? Who, who is supposed to be affording this, this housing? So when we got through the conversation, what ended up being was, and this particular committee agreed, we want anybody 
who anybody who wants to live in the town and also work in the town um, be able to afford to do so. And so now you've started to paint a completely different picture um, from where the conversation kind of originally started. And so um, and in in this case, it, it, you know, this is a town that is predominantly single family homes. Um, so they recognize that maybe they need uh, more housing to accommodate seniors uh, and, and people that are looking to stay in, in what we call age in place. Um, and this would come through uh, patio homes, um, homes that are single story. Um, we recognize that to maybe live and work in this particular community, you need more uh, 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 apartments or, or rental type uh, housing for those that maybe that are not prepared to buy their first home or, or simply are not in a place to be a homeowner. And so, so now, again, you start to see affordable housing as, as, as what is it, um, who, who are, is A, um, that we're speaking to and B, um, affordable to whom is, is I think the key question. So, um, yeah, well, I think I mean, in that particular instance, I, uh, first of all, you said at the beginning, you said, I, I said something that was genius. Uh, you said, it like you, were, you said it like you were surprised. So I just want to make sure <laughs> everyone knows that that's a regular routine occurrence, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, the, the definitions that float around out there, are what frustrates me, right? So the, so we talked, we're, you know, we're talking about misconceptions and, um, and, uh, one of the misconceptions is it has to look a certain way. It has to be super dense. It has to be uh, multifamily. It has to be uh, it has to be subsidized by the federal government. Yada yada. You got all of these things. And and when you think about or when when community leadership thinks about um, about these uh, these opportunities, that picture bubbles up into their brain, right? Like a 1968 uh, uh, you know center city, um, really poorly managed most likely uh, really poorly managed, really poorly executed housing project. And that just doesn't have to be uh, uh, what, what we're talking about anymore. And so I like for communities to think about it along a spectrum, to your point. Um, the, you know, the feds kind of de define it as uh, not more than it's not spending more than 30 percent of your gross income on housing. Right. Um, when you throw those numbers up, that's the that, that's the most attacked chart in any in any um, uh, housing section that we write in a comprehensive plan or a housing strategy. They're like, oh, my God, there's no way I could afford this. Right. Uh, because theoretically, it's just taking your gross income and multiplying it by three. And you know, this is what you can afford. Uh and so we're telling, you know, a single income household who's making $30,000 a year that they can afford a $90,000 house. Um, me and you uh, and everybody else who lives in the real world know that that's just not the case typically, right? Because it's not taking into account any other thing that's going on in that person's life. Um, but then there's an, uh, so, so defining what it is that we're after is important. And I think uh, affordable housing exists on a spectrum from uh, at one end is market rate housing that that you know, we don't address at all, that just fills in by virtue of the market. Um, and then working backward from there along the spectrum, we think about, you know, are we going to do something special with zoning, whether it's a density bonus uh, in exchange for some affordability? Uh, are we going to seek some federal incentive? Uh, are we going to do some kind of land cost write down? Are we going to engage with a management partner who's going to take state and federal um, state and federal funds and, and, and underwrite housing costs? Uh, are we talking about supporting special populations like veterans or the disabled uh, or people struggling with uh, with some type of addiction? Uh, there, there's a there's a million different uh, different things here. All of those points in the market have to be addressed. 
Um, in, another, in another episode, somebody said, you know, don't focus on the brand, all right? Don't focus on, uh, on, on the, we were talking at the time about where somebody really wants a Starbucks or somebody really wants a Target. In this case, I would say like, don't focus on, uh, on what, the, what the arrangement is. Focus on who you're trying to serve uh, and then craft the arrangement that makes the most sense for you. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about once the housing is built, right? So everybody's everybody's uh, fear, or not everybody, uh, I think people who are misinformed, their fear is um, crime, drug use, uh, blight, all of these things happen when you when you put uh, when you concentrate poverty. So a, I think concentrating poverty is a bad idea. Uh, first of all, and we can talk about how how to address uh, affordable housing without concentrating uh, concentrating people who are struggling with poverty. Um, but uh, but also that um, that everybody who's responsible for managing housing does it uh, does it in a in in the right or the wrong way, right? And so um, I guess you know my my question to you is. Is what from a planning perspective, what can local government do to control landlord behavior um, as it relates to any any housing type? Right? Um, I, are there are there regulations? Are there uh, are there programs that, that local governments can put out on the street to make sure that everybody who's responsible for the upkeep of this property is doing it in the best, the best, most productive, contributory way? You know, that's really interesting because what we often hear is, um, you know, you have uh, one homeowner who, uh, you know, takes a lot of uh, a sense of pride in their property and their lawn and they're out there, you know, making sure that it's not over an inch tall. Um, they have a beautiful white picket fence. And then on the both sides, you have someone who has a lot of garbage in the front yard, you know, and on one side and then someone else who's, whose grass is, you know, t- 10 inches tall and falling over. And no one's been out there in in weeks. And so the real frustration comes is that I'm doing so much. And yet my neighbors, these other property owners, um, whether owners or renters, uh, are just simply not doing anything. And oftentimes, um, you know, it's the problem is, is that they want to take a sense of pride in their community. And it's not as much about who lives there as versus what is occurring on the property. So I think it's important to distinguish that this is not necessarily an attack on, on individuals or the, the neighbors themselves, but rather just the mere, I want to help bring this community up to a new level and, and take a sense of pride in it. So I think it's really important to distinguish. Um, but second, it often comes down to um, absentee landlords, uh, landlords that don't actually live in the community, um, but yet are reaping uh, the benefits, whether it's through um, you know being subsidized and getting paid to house certain populations um, and others that are just collecting rent and and, and that's that. Um, but what we're often finding now is, and you'll hear me say this, um, this is a, a regular mantra of mine, is that your codes are um, only as strong as those in f- who enforce it. The problem we're running into is simply we are working with a lot of small, often rural communities that simply don't have code enforcement um, that's either part-time, you have some inf- code uh, enforcement officers who are retired and they just do this um, kind of as another follow-up 
follow-up career in their retirement. Um, and that simply cannot uh, keep up with the demand. Um, and it's a struggle to enforce. Um, you know, they'll send a letter um, and, you know, pay, you know, say $200 fine because you didn't cut your lawn or you have garbage in the front yard or vehicles parked on the lawn. Uh, and the landlords will say, okay, it's $200. They'll pay it and they'll move on. And there's really no uh, ramifications. Mm. And so this is a problem. Um, communities need to take code enforcement very, very seriously. Um, they need to invest in it. Uh, once you start to do that um, and, and you have uh, a strong enforcement team, you will start to see uh, real change. Yeah. When you start to hold them accountable, you stay on them and you increase the penalties for um, if, if you you know run into to challenges. Yeah. And I was thinking, I was also just, I was thinking about back to, back to how, how this ties back to economic development in a lot of ways. Um, one of the, when we, when we started talking about housing with that particular community that we were working with, um, one of the, one of the things we, that the, that the steering committee agreed on was we don't want to be an exporter of poverty, right? That's not how we want to deal with, with our, with our most struggling families by, by driving the housing market to such a point that they can't afford to live here. So they'll go somewhere else. And, um, uh, our partner, Michael Indolo, um, was, was, uh, having a conversation with, with, uh, with a planning friend of ours who, who was doing work down south in a larger comprehensive plan. And they asked us, you know, can you create this model that shows, you know, what, what, type, what type of uh, impacts creating certain jobs have, right? So one of the, so the, the community was, was focusing on downtown and they were saying, we want a lot of retail. We want this small scale retail in our downtown. Um, and we want on the upper stories, we want fortune 500 companies and executives and blah, blah, blah. We want them all. And, and so uh, the question became, where are the, where are the people who, who are operating the gap on the first floor going to be living? Because if you don't solve that problem with housing, you're going to have to solve that problem with highways, right? Right. And and so uh, what I was heartened by in, in our in our client community's case was they said, no, 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 absolutely not. We don't we don't want to we want to make sure to your to the very original statement that you made. Um, we want to make sure that everyone who works in in our town has a place to live in our town and everyone who wants to work or live in our town has a place. And so um, it's uh, it's it's critical that you don't create some other problem by by trying to solve the housing problem. And, and if you're if you're focused on on poor performance of landlords or poor performance of tenants for that matter. Um, and you're lumping all of that into something rash, like all affordable housing creates these problems. Uh, one of the things we've learned in our research is that it just doesn't. So we were, you know, we, we worked with uh, a community in the Southern tier uh, who was working on a, a, uh, an affordable housing project. And, and the chief, the chief of police came to the table and was worried about crime. Uh, and, uh, and our research showed well-managed affordable housing results in a decrease in crime uh, because you have an active property owner, an active investor who's making sure that um, that these um, you know that these folks are uh, that, that the tenants are are, are uh, well well selected and that they understand the expectations of the property and so forth. So I think you're right. I think it's about focusing on the problem you're trying to solve, and in this case, we're trying to solve a market problem without creating a bunch of other ripples. So be sure that you're holding your landlords, your investors to account. Be sure that the pro that the, the occupants themselves, the tenants themselves uh, understand who they can go to, who they can talk to, what their options are 
when they feel like the landlord isn't holding up their end of the bargain. Um, but but first of all, defining affordable housing to begin with and um, and saying clearly um, what, what what problem you're solving for here. So so we're moving now to our uh, to our regular feature, and that's our uh, our mind blowing minute. And um, Jane, do you care if I steal this one? If I steal an affordable housing mind mind blowing example? You seem eager. I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a bunch of years ago, I was working in a community uh, that decided that. Um, it was heavily populated with uh, with um, healthcare, uh, two major hospitals, and uh, uh, a lot of service, uh, a lot of service establishments that that, that fed those hospitals, labs, and uh, and so forth. And um, and what what the community had been spending a ton of time on in the years prior were trying to convince the doctors and the CEOs and the administrators that that uh, Hornsville or Hornet Falls was was the right community to be living in. Uh, and um, over time, uh, they recognized that they were missing the boat on the meatiest part of uh, of the economic potential of having the hospitals there, and that was that was um, the workforce, uh, the the workforce at large, the general workforce, the supportive workforce. Um, and over two hospitals, uh, a couple of dock in the boxes, and, and a couple of you know a couple of uh, uh, of other kind of supporting facilities. There might have been five hundred doctors. There were thousands of support employees, and so they turned their attention to the medical workforce and create uh, and first ask the question: What what would you need to to live in Hornet Falls? Uh, what would it take to keep you here? What's keeping you from owning a home or from from living here? Uh, and then started crafting incentive programs like down payment assistance, credit counseling, um, facilitating developer conversations around building uh, building affordable units. So uh, so they first sought. To sought sought to define the problem, uh, then they asked questions of the market segment they were interested in retaining. Uh, then they s- crafted the solution specifically to uh, to the target population. Uh, uh, and today, I think they're very successful in retaining a lot of those people. And uh, that means you don't have a parking problem at the hospital. That means you don't have traffic problems in and out of town, uh, and your sales tax goes through the roof because all those folks are shopping and investing locally, uh, which is fantastic. So, Jane. It's been uh, it's been an absolute privilege. Uh, your insights are so valued, and, and your experience is uh, is tremendous when it comes to these things. So thanks for being here. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Building stronger communities is a collaboration between MRB Group and FingerLakesOne.com Digital Media. To learn more, visit SmarterLocalGov.com and check out archived episodes on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Anchor. Look for links to all those locations in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.